You are now listening to The Model Health Show with Sean Stevenson. For more, visit themodelhealthshow.com. Welcome to The Model Health Show. This is fitness and nutrition expert, Sean Stevenson, and I'm so grateful for you tuning in with me today. We are fully in the midst of summer right now. Uh, here in St. Louis, we've got, it's, they call it baseball heaven, you know? So they've got baseball going on. We've got the swimming pool, the water slides. Listen, when I was a kid, we, we had a pool and there's like a diving board, like the local swimming pool, diving board, swimming pool, kiddie pool, that's it. Today, it's elaborate, all right? They got 17 different kind of water slides. They got water slides that will jettison you to another planet. You know, there's so much crazy, cool, elaborate stuff. Also, we had, you know, growing up where I did the the, the fire hydrant, somebody's going to break that open and the kids will be playing outside. And not to say to do that is probably super illegal, but that's what we were we, we were experiencing. But uh, I just want to encourage you to, to make sure to get out and enjoy this time of year. If you're here in the U.S., shout out to everybody listening in other parts of the world as well. But uh, here's a good opportunity to get outdoors because that's one of the things that really holds us back psychologically, like we'll tell ourselves we're not going to get out and exercise because, you know, it's too cold, it's rainy, whatever the case might be. There's always a way, always an opportunity, but this is that that open door, that open opportunity to get out and to enjoy yourself and have some fun. It's also a great opportunity to connect with amazing people. And that's what I have for you today. I have somebody here in the studio who flew in to hang out with us and to share her incredible story, her incredible insights. And this is just a really, really powerful episode. So I can't wait to bring her on and introduce her. Yet again, it's actually her second time on the Model Health Show. It's been a couple of years, but man, she is new and improved and hit that Beyonce upgrade button because like she is just something special and really bringing it in and, and dropping some serious knowledge bombs today. So really excited about that. But another part of summer growing up is, you know, we would go to the pool and then we would bring some juice along, you know, like go to the little bar. My grandma would have a cooler and I had these little barrel juices. Shout out to anybody that remembers barrel juices. They were like little plastic shaped like a little barrel, actually looks like an alcohol barrel. And then it would be filled with this 0% juice juice, right? And my favorite was the blue, right? What kind do you want? It's not like uh, do you want apple juice, orange juice, pineapple juice? Give me blue juice, right? I'll have the blue. And that should tell you right there in of itself that it's probably not that good for you, right? And But this is just the way that I grew up. And we this is one of those things that if you don't know, you don't know. We come to accept as normal. All of this highly processed you know, sugar and artificial sweeteners and artificial colors that now we know we have hard science affirming the fact that some of this stuff can be disruptive to our hormones, can be disruptive to our neurotransmitters. And so the bottom line is like, we're looking today, like we're upgrading those things. We're upgrading those behaviors that we've come to accept and to enjoy of having that juice, but we're doing it with higher quality ingredients. Now, of course, you can break out the juicer and make yourself some fresh pressed juice, but let's be honest, the number one drawback for me making juice is the fact that I have to clean the juicer. Okay. Now somebody might be like, well, that's just a weak excuse. Just clean the juicer. Not a big deal. <sighs> if I had a preference, I would have a friend who loved to clean the juicer always around when I make juice. All right. But I don't know who that friend would be. 
do, do you know of any person like that's one of their favorite things in life is to clean a juicer? Probably not. But that's one option that we can do and we can make incredible stuff. And juicing is one of the things that really helped to reset my palate and transform my health because I wasn't eating vegetables at the time because of the way that I grew up. Again, I grew up drinking blue drink, right? I didn't grow up eating asparagus or kale. I didn't even know what those were. I literally did not know what those were until my 20s. No joke. And, but having that paradigm of, yes, so now we can make these juices, but, you know, we've got a lot of stuff going on and we're on the go. And if we're traveling, you know, trying to find a place or time to, to get a fresh juice, it can be, it's more accessible today than it ever has been, but it's not always easy. And so this is why I love Organifi so much because they've got the green juice formula and it's a low temperature process to retain the nutrients that we're getting from all these super dense green foods, these green superfoods really, like chlorella, spirulina, uh, ashwagandha is in there as well, which is a really powerful adaptant that's been in Ayurveda for thousands of years. And they've got these rare nutrients in there when we're talking about something like spirulina, uh, phycocyanin, which has been clinically proven to stimulate uh, stem cell genesis, right? So the creation of new stem cells, absolutely mind-blowing, absolutely powerful. So I love their green juice formula and they have go packs so that when I travel, I bring my uh, Organifi green juice go packs with me and I can literally open it, you know, a water a bottle on the airplane, just pour that in there, shake it up and I've got something that really, and you can feel it, you can feel how it just makes you feel cleaner. It makes, it's just like a nutrient infusion when you have that green juice. Everybody who has green juice knows what I'm talking about. And also, of course, it tastes really, really good. And they also have the red juice formula. So we're swapping out, instead of me picking the blue juice, having the red juice, a red drink, we've got the real red juice, which is from real earth-grown nutrients and superfoods, red superfoods. We've got pomegranate in there, all right? Super hot out there on the streets and just an, an array of red superfoods and their gold formula. So I don't know if you know about the gold yet or if you've tried the gold. So the basis of the gold and what makes the this gold product that's, you know, you can add to your almond milk or you can add to, you know, hot water, things like that. But it's gold because of the turmeric and turmeric is well noted now. We've got... Um, clinical data affirming that it's it has anti-angiogenesis properties. So what does that mean? Angiogenesis is the ability for cells to get a blood supply to feed them, to grow. Specifically, when we're talking about angiogenesis, the big conversation around it today is regarding cancer cells. That's how they're able to grow. They start to find their own and snatch up their own blood supply within you to feed them. And so turmeric is noted to have anti-angiogenesis properties specifically for cancer cells. Super powerful, super remarkable. Also very, very uh, powerful and, uh, anti-inflammatory compound as well. And it just tastes awesome in this gold formula. It's got like coconut milk and like some spices. It's just really, really tasty. So many people that message me about the gold they like to have it in the evening. It's just become their part of their evening ritual to help you to wind down and relax. Because it also has some reishi in there too, which is noted to uh, improve sleep latency, which means you fall asleep faster, improve overall sleep time, and improve uh, deep sleep and REM sleep as well with reishi. So really, really great stuff. Upgrading this whole paradigm of juice. Shout out to Organifi. And you get 20% off everything they carry 
exclusive right here with the Model Health Show. Go to Organifi.com forward slash model. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash model. Get 20% off the red juice, green juice, the gold, and everything else that they carry. Head over there, check them out. Organifi.com forward slash model. And now let's get to the Apple Podcast Review of the Week. Another five-star review titled How to Make Disease Disappear by Simon1HJ. As a practitioner in general practice, this episode truly spoke to me as a reminder to listen to our patients and not just treat symptoms with more medications. There are many aspects of their life we need to delve into to help them live healthier and happier. I shared this episode with every provider in my office. Thank you for all the valuable information you seek out and share with us all. Awesome. Thank you so much for leaving me that review over on Apple Podcasts. I appreciate it more than you know. And listen, everybody, if you've yet to do so, pop over to Apple Podcasts, leave a review, let everybody know what you think about the Model Health Show, whatever app that you're listening to the show on. If you can leave a review, please do. It really does mean the world to me. And if you're watching the show on YouTube, hanging out in the studio with us today, leave a comment and let everybody know what you think of the episode. All right. Appreciate that so very much. And on that note, let's get to our special guest and topic of the day. Our guest today is best-selling author Steph Godro. And Steph holds a Bachelor's of Science degree in Biology and Human Physiology and a Master's degree in Education. She's also a nutrition therapy consultant, and she's the founder of what is now StephGaudreau.com. And that's Steph, that's S-T-E-P-H-G-A-U-D-R-E-A-U.com. StephGaudreau.com, which was formerly the award-winning Stupid Easy Paleo, Stupid Easy Paleo, which just shot her into this huge arena and impact and just reaching millions of people through her website and her recipes. And that's what she was really known for. Even when I first met her, it's just like she is the person who's creating all these yummy recipes for everybody. But she's also over time, more and more getting busy in the fitness arena as well. And uh, over the last couple of years and having the opportunity to know her and to um, just admire her and to uh, just to see the progression and the insights and the ideas and all the powerful things that she's really put together, uh, it's all become this compilation of ideas in her brand new book, The Core Four. And it is a powerhouse book and she is a powerhouse human being and right now we're going to dive into a conversation with the incredible steph godro my grandmother loved her folders yeah yeah i don't get it and now people are like so like snooty with the coffee you know it's a whole different game do you like the mushroom coffee then that's been, that's all i've drinking ever had it? i've had bulletproof okay. coffee like their cold brew stuff yeah yeah. I just found out about that too. Cold brew, man. Wow. <laughs> I've been drinking cold coffee. I mean, I grew up in Massachusetts, right? Mm. So I remember I'd go through the drive through at Dunkin', be snowing, <laughs> and ask for an iced coffee. And the lady was like, what? <laughs> yeah. Wow. I almost always drink cold coffee. Oh, my God. Almost never drink hot coffee. That is the best story ever. Are we rolling? <laughs> We are rolling. Oh, good, yeah. good, good. That is a good start uh, to yeah. the show right I know. there. <laughs> it's hard. It was hard for me to find cold coffee here, though. Mm. I don't know if, if it's a thing. It's kind of a regional thing. In some places, don't have cold coffee. 
first of all, they had a drive-through as well. Like In Massachusetts? Early. Yeah. Yeah. Dunkin' Donuts. Well, I think it's just because my awareness, like I didn't see it. Like, you know how like it becomes just background Yeah. if you're not eating there at the McDonald's or whatever. But now I'm noticing like when I go to the gym in the morning that the Dunkin' line is just around oh, yeah. the, the building every morning. We finally have Dunkin' now in California. It's starting to come in. I saw, I was at the airport yesterday and it said San Diego runs on Duncan. And I was like, what has just happened? Because being from Massachusetts, it's like Massachusetts runs on Duncan. It's like Dunkin' Donuts. No one goes to Starbucks Dang. or anything like that. Yeah. So Dunkin's like the strong arm in the game there. It is. So I saw it in, <laughs> in the airport in San Diego yesterday and I thought, oh, that's it. The Dunk assimilation is complete. <laughs> <laughs> the mob is spreading. Mm hmm. Wow. Yep. You come to Massachusetts. Yeah. You get your donut. I know. Um, so is that where you were teaching? For the first three years. First three years. Because your entry into the world of health and fitness and all this stuff is kind of, it's pretty unique because mm -hmm. you were like in the, quote, trenches, like teaching high school students. Yeah. Right? So was it, um, was it biology, right? Biology? Biology and, and chemistry. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you even get attracted to biology and chemistry i've always been a nerd yeah. always i learned how to garden with my grandparents my grandfather always used to take my grandfather was very influential in my life mm. my dad bounced when i was maybe four or five mm. and my mom's father we lived with them him and my grandmother for a, a while while my mom got back on her feet yeah. and when you're so at, at that age between like five and he died when i was eight but between five and eight i mean he just really shared his love of nature. He used to point out the constellations. He bought me a telescope. He would take us in the garden. I mean, all this stuff. So that's really where my fascination with living things began mm. that young. And then when I was in high school, I took a bunch of science classes and I thought I was gonna go to school to be a physical therapist. Got into school at Springfield College and they had a really competitive program and I got in and it was like a mile from where I went to high school. So oh, yeah, <laughs> I didn't yeah. leave, Stay local, local. did not fly the coop at all. And so I did a year of PT and I had to do an internship and I did it at, you know, just like an outpatient PT place. Mm -hmm. And I just went in and I thought, I cannot do this because I don't think back then you had people who were doing their own progressive PT stuff, right? Yeah, it was very like franchise. It, yeah, flavor. and I just thought if I'm gonna help someone with a stretchy band and that's gonna be my job, I just don't think I can do that. Mm. So I left Springfield College, transferred to UMass and just continued on with biology. Mm. So that's really how it started, but it goes back to being a kid. Yeah, that's so powerful. Oh, that's one of the things we've been talking about recently is like exposure. You know, because there's a statement, of course, you know, you were a product of your environment. But we really are. But we're also creators of mm -hmm. our environment, too, which is kind of what makes us unique. But that exposure had such an imprint, you know, with your grandfather, even though it was just those three years. Like, yeah. it could be one, you know, one time. That's why I'm so passionate about giving kids this exposure, which is what you did. Mm -hmm. And so while you were teaching, you were kind of battling some stuff yourself, you yes. know, different stuff with, you know, your, your, your health, your fitness, your uh, uh, opinion of yourself. So let's talk a little bit about that. Like what kind of drove you, 
Well, literally, because you were on a bike for a while yeah. into the, the health and fitness space. Gosh, you know, when I when you look back, you can sort of see how everything came together. But at the time, so I was teaching high school or teaching high school, which I did for 12 years. The first three of that I did in Massachusetts and I moved out west. And I remember getting on a mountain bike and thinking it was really fun. And then I started racing bikes. But if you go back to from the time I again from being a kid. I also I have a sister who's a year and a half younger than me and we look completely different. We don't even look related. She looks like my dad, I look like my mom. She's tall and thin and blonde and blue-eyed and I've always compared myself to her. And you know, again, when you have those things that people say to you, especially adults, and our memories are notoriously a little fuzzy. But I remember my stepdad saying something to me like, you're the fat one. Mm. And Carrie, that's my sister. She's the dumb one. And that just stuck with me, I'll tell you. And I was the first girl in fifth grade to like go through puberty. I got braces. I started my period. I mean, it just I just changed physically. And I was still so – I was like 10 and a half. So you have all those things happen, your body changes. And I was just from that moment so hyper-conscious of my body. I didn't look like my sister. I didn't look like other girls. And, of course, we're fed all the messaging from media. And at that time it was magazines. You know, we didn't have social media, but magazines and TV. And you internalize what, it's, what, you're suppo- what you should look like. And when you don't look like that, you become very aware of it. So all throughout – school I played sports and um, then I got into mountain biking when I was in college and as soon as I started racing mountain bikes again I became very hyper aware that I was not your typical mountain biker body type and in cycling there's a huge power to weight ratio that's like prized right can you propel yourself up the hill the fastest and one of the easiest ways to do that is to weigh very little. If you look at the Tour de France riders, they are the epitome of that. They're like the jockeys of the bike world. They're tiny. Mm. And so again, I was always aware, aware, aware of not looking like everybody else and just thinking if I could just get smaller, I'd be so much happier. I hate my legs. Why are they so big? Um, And just painfully aware of that stuff and it became such an obsession always thinking about it always analyzing self-analyzing always getting on the scale every day pinching the fat on my legs is it more is it less did the scale go up or down and that would dictate how I felt right if it goes scale goes down okay you feel happy for a few maybe a few minutes and so I, I, I mean, I, my story is not unique in a lot of ways, right? I did so many diets. I used exercise to try to control my weight instead of finding the joy in movement. And it was always a chore or it was something to try to make up for what I ate or earn what I, was, what I wanted to eat later on. And so you take things that could be very healthy and at least exercise in our society is so it's very praised you see somebody training and or or exercising and you think okay that's awesome good for you what you don't always know is the motivation behind it the mindset that's going into it what it means to that person 
could they be even overdoing it? Are they um, are they exercised? Are they abusing exercise? And I think I got to the point for myself where when I was on a bike, I could run away from my problems and not have to deal with what was going on in my life. I, I could kind of escape. I could numb myself out to that. As long as I was in pain on the bike, mm. right? I was suffering, then I didn't have to address the things in my life, like my self-limiting beliefs, like the fact that my marriage was falling apart. I could just get on the bike and ride and I progressively switched from shorter distance to longer and longer and longer races. And I was racing six hours solo, 12 hours solo, 24 hours on a team. I would go out and do these 55 mile races in Southern California, up in the mountains. And it just became like then triathlons. So now I'm adding on swimming and biking and running and it just became so consuming. But it was a way for me to not have to deal with my life and the things that were painful for me and a way for me to try to control the way I looked. Mm -hmm. And so that's, you know, my relationship with food and fitness was very different to how it is now. And I think a lot of the people that I work with, a lot of the women that I work with especially, are realizing that their relationships with food and with fitness are not necessarily healthy when they really look at it, but they don't know any other way. So that's really how a lot, I mean, this is such a long convoluted story, but when I was thinking about leaving the classroom, I had started, I've really changed what I ate. I mean, I was, I was the type of person you'd go to Subway and get a sandwich you get a, a grind, we call them grinders in the Northeast. You get a grinder and oh, not, not an app, by the this way. This is new. For, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you, Thank uh, you, you for clarifying. Yeah, you'd get a grinder and it would have a, you know, one or two slices of avocado on it, mm-hmm. really thin, and I would take them off, you know. Mm-hmm. It's so just very, again, that diet mentality. And so I started really eating real whole foods. I wasn't counting my calories for the first time. I used to do Weight Watchers. I wasn't counting points. I wasn't trying to, and I started weaning myself off of weighing my own self, um, started lifting weights. And so all of these things kind of came together. And when I really decided that I wasn't happy in the classroom and I had already started my blog and I was sharing some things online, I just thought, well, what else am I going to do with my life? I know nothing else. Teaching was my first career. I was 21 when I left college to, to teach and I was teaching 18-year-olds, which I don't think they knew at the time. <laughs> I didn't let them in on how young I was because I was only a few years older than right. them. But that's really what spurred me initially to take my background right in biology, human physiology, my understanding of how to explain complex scientific topics to 15 and 16-year-olds, and my love of fitness and how my life really started to transform in terms of my relationship to these things and food and and fitness didn't become like the it wasn't like the end goal it became part of my life and then allowed me to think okay well now that i'm not obsessing about these things what else is there to life and for me it was teaching other people how to get away from the things that I had, because I was like, if I can get over this, if I can come out the other side, 
when I was so, I was using all of my energy focusing on myself, right? It's how can I help others? And you can't always, if you're not feeling good in your body and you don't have energy, you can't pour from that empty cup. That's that cliche, but it's so true, right? So So how do you, but then once you have the energy, once you have that baseline of skill, you know how to feed yourself, you know how you're getting sleep, you're able to feel good for the most part every day. Is that where it ends? Do you just hoard all that knowledge to yourself? Or what do you do with that? How do you help other people? And so that really became the mission. Yeah. And you put it together in such a straightforward and accessible way in this book. And as I mentioned in your intro, uh, you know, you had an award-winning recipe site, you know, mm-hmm. paleo recipes and just delicious stuff. I've made your stuff before, you know. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and But you also mentioned in the book that if you were just sharing recipes, you felt like you were doing your audience a massive disservice. Mm-hmm. And it's because of what specifically? What what else was missing for you that you needed to share? Yeah, that's such a great question. And it, I think for me, if I look at the progression of things, eating better, eating differently, letting go of some of the obsession about food, right? That helped me to feel physically better. I had way more energy. I mean, every day I would leave school, bell would ring at three o'clock, very Pavlovian. I would think, okay, it's time to go get Coke Zero and M&Ms from the 7-Eleven we had down the, down the block from school because I would need energy. I would need the sugar and the caffeine to get through the afternoon without falling asleep while I was driving home. So I had no energy. I wasn't sleeping very much, five or six hours a night, if that. My life was pretty stressful as a teacher. Um, And again, I wasn't really using, I was using exercise to escape my life and to try to control my body. So for me, food was the initial way that I started feeling better. I would always get super bloated. My gut was always hurting. I had no energy. I wasn't sleeping well. I had weird skin problems. I mean, it just, my, I had, I have endometriosis, which was my symptoms were kind of masked by birth control at the time, but all of those things said and done, eating better allowed me to start physically feeling like I had the energy to tackle my day and I could, you know, I wasn't relying on sugar to get me through the afternoon and all these things. And then when I added the fitness piece, lifting weights for me was I mean, anybody who's lifted weights knows that there's something primal in your brain that just gets triggered on. And I'm, you know, endurance or or cardio is fine. Um, HIT is fine. I really think that all those things have their place and you have to think about in what doses am I going to do them? And it's not for everybody. But with you, know, when I started to lift weights, there was this part of my brain that thought, can I, can I do that? You know, I'd look at a barbell and think, can I, am I going to be able to lift that? And then you go up to the bar and you lift it and you think, okay, what else can I do? Right. For a lot of women, a pull up yeah. mm-hmm. is like the thing because typically the narrative that we have absorbed is that we're not strong enough. We're not strong enough to do a pull up. We're not strong enough to climb a rope. I remember the first time I climbed a rope, I was like, whoa. And I had the opportunity to go to the Bud's obstacle course. I live in San Diego uh, with a couple of friends of mine who were in the Navy. Mm-hmm. So that's like Navy SEAL training. It right? is. It is the Navy SEAL BUDS 
O course. And everything, it's like uh, it's like an O course on steroids. Everything's bigger, taller, longer. And I was probably a couple years into CrossFit at the time. And I did every single obstacle except for one. It took me a long time. I wasn't racing the clock, but I just thought I, I couldn't have done this a couple years ago. And that feeling of being able to move my body and being having that autonomy, having that agency of being able to move through space and be able to lift myself onto a platform or climb a rope or lift something heavy and move it, that independence, that feeling that comes with that was such a sense of freedom and also a catalyst for, again, thinking, what else can I do? Like, I just proved myself wrong. That's pretty cool. I just shattered all these preconceived notions that I had about myself. And we are so much more than just a body. Right. But yet our body is, it's, it's precious to us. It carries us around. It helps us do all these different things. So when I started to be able to move and I felt more confident, then it was time to, and, and all this stuff happened over the course of a couple of years, but I started to really challenge my own negative self-talk, my own negative thinking. And so through this whole process, and, and it's very messy and it's not linear and it goes in a million directions. And, but through this process of starting with food and sleep and self-care and taking care of myself and then going outside myself and then starting to challenge these beliefs and perspectives and this mindset, I really thought if I am not sharing this with people and my community would say, okay, so I did the food part, but why don't I feel any better? Mm, <laughs> or my body right, feels right. better, but I'm still dealing with X, Y, Z. What's, what else is there? And I really am a, such a holistic person. I can't look at somebody and just see, you know, their physical being. We are all so multidimensional. We are all so complex. We have these different pieces of who we are. And so I oftentimes will get people that are like, well, I'm eating the perfect diet, but I'm still super unhealthy. Or maybe that perfect diet has triggered me into unhealthy behaviors in other areas. So for me to hoard that experience and not share it, and I don't think that the way I did things is necessarily how it plays out for everybody. Different people have different entry points, yeah. different on-ramps to this experience. But for me to only do recipes, I thought was doing people a disservice because there's so much more to the conversation. And so I find, you know, sometimes you feel like, but that's not what I do. You know, I don't do that. And I just felt like oh, I can't help it. I can't not share, even though it's it's not, is this, you know, was this paleo? Is this in the conversation? Mm -hmm. Is this relevant? And so over time, it's grown and grown and grown. And now it's almost like we talk about food and fitness and mindset, but as a means to an end, not the ends themselves. Right. And what is that? What is that end? Is it? achieving our full potential? Is it having a higher purpose? Is it creating community and connection? Is it exploring our gifts and talents? Like what, what is the thing that we're trying to do and how can we support that by taking care of ourselves with these different, these different pillars? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it makes it the process so much more accessible and graceful once you attach it to that rather than, as you talk about in the book, a lot of us hate ourselves into, into being healthy. You know, we try to hate ourselves thin and the mm -hmm. way that we berate ourselves and 
that negative voice that we have about how we're not the person or how we're not good enough or how we're not, we don't have the body that we're supposed to have. And you also talk about for many people, they believe that once I have this perfect body that I'm working for, then my life is going to be sunshine and, and rainbows and bubble gum mm -hmm. and iced Dunkin' Donuts coffee, right? <laughs> yeah. But you say that there's a different reality that we're not really looking at. Mm -hmm. It's not just once you're still taking you with you. Mm -hmm. And so we need to talk about those other things behind the scenes. Absolutely. And I remember very clearly when I was in my triathlon days and I wasn't eating nearly enough food, right? So doing lots of cardio, not enough food. I mean, I started to just shrink. That's not what I thought I looked like though. And I got on the scale one morning and I had a number in mind and I don't want to say what the number is. So I don't want to trigger anybody. Uh, I don't think that's helpful for comparison's sake, but I had a number and I was like, when I get to this number, I have made it. It's going to be great. And I got on the scale and I saw the number and I just thought uh, probably for about a minute or two or three or five, like I just thought, okay, I did it. I've arrived. I have arrived. <laughs> and I got off the scale and went about my day. And lo and behold, all the things that I hadn't dealt with, right? All of my self-narratives, all of the stuff that was weighing me down was still there. And I just thought, oh, no, what now? <laughs> Right. And it, and I'm not, I don't want to take this away from people who are trying to improve their health and weight loss is perhaps one thing that comes out of it. Um, because oftentimes you have to put in, hopefully if it's going to be sustainable, you have to put in the work with the sustainable changes and the habits that are really going to improve your health. But I think too many people are chasing that number, hoping it's going to provide validation it's going to provide happiness. It's going to provide a sense of arrival. Mm -hmm. And I think we have this false promise of arrival because when we're pursuing whatever goal it is, whether it's the scale, even getting us, you know, lifting, getting your 300 pound deadlift or whatever it is, you get to that moment and then you think, well, what's next? Right. So getting that payoff can be nice. You get your little dopamine shot. You're happy for a few minutes and then you're left with yourself in the same, you're, you're still you. Yeah. So can we stay committed to the process? Can we look at the things that got us there? Can we stay focused on that and enjoy that? Right. And so for, for a lot of people that I work with and for myself, you know, the scale is not um, is not the thing that provides happiness. We think happiness is an outcome right. of having achieved certain things. And there's really interesting research that shows that happiness is, is, is an ingredient. And right. in it's like it, happiness begets more happiness. But the people who are the most content are the ones that are able to create that for themselves, that they're not sitting around waiting for it. I talk about that with motivation, Right or confidence. I will wear the bathing suit and I'll, I'll feel more confident and I will wear the bathing suit. There's a hack around that too, which is I wear the bathing suit. I realize nothing bad happened to me. I'm still alive. I survived. Therefore, I feel more, more confident than I did before. And then that 
creates the cycle. And I think happiness is very similar to that. Um, and I realize that not everybody has the same circumstances and we're all dealing with different things and it, life is not equal. It is not fair. But if we're waiting for this external validation, then we've missed the whole point, which is if we can create that in ourselves and even things like gratitude, which is there's so much research around gratitude and how powerful it is, we can foster that sense without needing to look towards things like everybody always complimenting us and giving us that validation or getting on the scale. And it's nice to say nice things and be kind. Yeah. But I think that's why so many people are let down when they get that scale weight loss, perhaps, and they're still left with the same, maybe their physical, you know, their meat suit has changed. Mm -hmm. But who they are maybe fundamentally hasn't change the things that they carry with them right especially if, if you're not doing it in a healthful manner in the first place which yeah. oftentimes today that's not the case yeah. there's two things there i have to talk about with yeah. you um the happiness and the bathing suit part yeah all right so and those don't typically go in the same sentence sometimes <laughs> but you know just the statement uh from dr wayne dyer that there is no way to happiness happiness is the way mm -hmm. And it's like one of those secret life hacks because we are, we're always postponing happiness. Like, I'll be happy someday or when this thing happens. But life is so fluid because people don't just apply that to their health, but also, you know, their relationship status, kids, uh, income, whatever the case might be. We keep pushing happiness away. And we find out every time we arrive, it's really, you might have, uh, you know, within a day or sometimes maybe a couple of weeks, you know, you hit a goal, but then it's really going to come back to those fundamentals of like my significance. How am I contributing? Um, how do I feel about myself? Right. I just had my mother-in-law on the show recently. Who's like my greatest teacher. Mm -hmm. And she said a statement that I hope people don't miss. Like she just said, I love myself so much. Mm -hmm. And to hear a grown ass woman say that was so like it just, it did something for me just hearing that. I was so proud and so happy and I, it made me want to love myself more, you know, mm -hmm. so that I can be better for her. But so that's one aspect. There is no way to happiness. Happiness is the way. The other thing is the bathing suit part, like, mm. you know, bringing yourself to it. And so having the confidence first and then wear the bathing suit versus I wear the bathing suit because I changed my body, then I have confidence. Mm -hmm. And so you talk about this concept in the book that is so powerful and specifically how often, more often it's women who shrink themselves mm. like because we believe that in order for you to be socially compliable and this ideal woman, you need to sh literally shrink yourself, physically shrink yourself. But you're telling women, no, you need to expand yourself. Yeah. It's one of the hardest things for people to wrap their brains around sometimes because we have been so socially conditioned in that way. As women or individuals who identify as women, we've been so socially conditioned from day one that there is one – it's, you know, it's the Goldilocks thing. You You better be kind of right in the middle and just pleasing enough, right? So if you're too opinionated, you're a bossy bee. If you're – if you're not opinionated enough and you're not standing up for yourself, then you're a doormat. 
If you try too hard with your appearance, then you're conceited and full of yourself. If you don't try hard enough, then you've let yourself go. You know, don't have too much muscle and look manly, but don't be too skinny either because then that's not attractive. So you can see why women are constantly walking this tightrope of being too much or being not enough. And one of the easiest things to then try because of what we see and things are changing, but and they're and things are becoming more inclusive, but the dominant idea and, and image of what it looks like to be a woman in America is a thin, young, able-bodied white chick who, you know, if you Google healthy woman, what are you going to find? And a lot of women, frankly, don't see themselves represented there in, in that conversation. So it's not surprising. And I, I want to, women to know that to, it, this is not a blame game on ourselves because one of the first things that women feel is bad. They're like, I feel bad. I didn't know, I didn't realize this. And I really love, um, I'm sure, I don't know if he's the first person to talk about this, but Mark Manson in his book talks about the difference between blame and responsibility. And we might not be to blame for what we're experiencing, but once we're aware, what is our, what is our responsibility then to ourselves and to each other is to do different, right? To change if we don't like that. And so I think, this idea of taking up space is very significant because, yes, we are talking about physically um, that there is not one correct way to look, that everybody has their own right genetics, everybody has their own environment, everybody has different aesthetics that they may prefer. Um, so that's part of it. But also taking up space is with your voice, is with your opinions, right, is with how you carry yourself, um, I know a lot of women in my community talk about when they walk in a public space, they have people that just walk right into them. And I've had a few people who are who say, okay, I tried this experiment where I went walking maybe in an airport and I didn't move. You know, I somebody just was walking and they weren't didn't step out of the way and I didn't move and how many people walk into them. So we're used to just, you know, diving out of the way and we're used to having our space taken up. We're used to being talked over. We're used to being um, drowned out in meetings. We're not having our voices amplified. There certainly are not very many seats at the table sometimes. I recently got an email from a health company and they're having a, uh, a conference and there were something like 13 speakers and two of them were women and the other 11 were guys. And that's something that I noticed. You know, are we giving spaces at the table to um, to people who don't look like that, that don't look like us? Are we giving spaces to people at the table um, for women? Are we including different voices? Are we including different points of view? And I think that's all taking up space. But it's, it's hard and it's scary. We talk a lot about in my community um, what happens, you know, what happens if you get catcalled on your walking down the street? And a lot of people say, just say something back. And the first thing that goes through my mind is, is it safe to do that? You know, these are the things that we think about. So it's not always safe to take up space in whatever way you need to, or you may want to consider your own safety. But in the environments where you can speak up, you can use your voice, you can amplify other voices, are we doing that? And I will be the first one to admit that I haven't always done that. I'm trying to do better 
for sure. Um, but taking up space with your body, taking up space with your opinions, your voice, sharing what it is that is your mission without apology. All of those things are, to me, included in that conversation. Yeah, man, that's so powerful. Um, man, just this idea that you also pointed out about a lot of women thinking, you know, and a lot of times, you know, it's very uh, subconscious, but just wanting other people to feel comfortable with their bodies, <laughs> right? Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so in my community, we have this unofficial kind of hashtag and movement called Wear the Shorts. And it's kind of our version of, you know, wearing a bathing suit. And I don't think that there's a gold standard that says, until and unless you can wear shorts, you have not arrived. Or until and unless you wear a bikini, you have not arrived. It's more about challenging the notion that we are not allowed to be in our bodies as they are now because it could be offensive to someone else. It could make someone else uncomfortable to look at us. And this is anybody from you know new moms to... Um, people that are in larger bodies to people who have just always had that self-conscious, everybody's looking at me or they had a bad experience and that they've carried that with them. They've had some kind of trauma, whatever it might be. So we have this thing called wear the shorts and it's become, it's become its own thing. I did a podcast episode on it and we talk a lot about it in our community with women of like how something as small as you know what? It's 92 degrees in St. Louis. Mm -hmm. right. <laughs> it's very humid. Um, I'm going to go do this workout, but I normally will wear long pants. And it's not out of comfort because I, I get it. If you're going to go out and run 10 miles, chafing is a real thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it's always I'm going to cover up because I don't want anyone to see me. I'm gonna wear a tank. I'm gonna wear a tank top or a, a long sleeve or a, a, a real baggy T-shirt over my sports bra, because if I take that shirt off, I don't want anyone. I don't want to have to inconvenience anyone. I don't want them to look at me, and then they're gonna think something about my body. And the number of women who are now posting that they, for the for the first time in years. I'm talking 20 years since high school. These are women typically between the ages of 35 and 45. Two decades or more have not worn shorts or have not, you know, taken off their shirt in public or we're wearing a sports bra or a, a, a bathing suit top or something yeah. is mind blowing. But it's also very cool because it's that one, that next step. It's that next thing. And more often than not, nothing bad happens. Nobody looks, nobody cares, nobody says anything. And again, it's like, okay, what else am I playing small for? And what can I do? Like, what else can I do? How else can I grow? How else can I expand? How else can I challenge my own way of doing things that I did for so long that does not serve me anymore. Okay, I get to actually sweat. Yay. <laughs> right? That's like physiological. That's my body's trying to cool me down and I can actually evaporate my own sweat now. Mm, Amazing, right. right? Got this whole air conditioning unit, didn't even know. Yes. So we have that. Or, you know, I was able to go to the water park and play with my kids and I was in there in that pool yeah. and we had so much fun. But previously, I would have been worried about covering up or staying out of the pool or whatever. I mean, those are moments of life 
that people are missing because they're afraid. And I, I completely get it because I was, I was there. And when you, again, you look out at the messaging that's really dominant in our, our culture, um, people in larger bodies are often made fun of. They're in movies. They're the, you know, the butt of jokes. They're treated disrespectfully. Um, so you can imagine this is very complex and why people feel this way. But yeah, it's, um, it's a really cool time of the year. And I know a lot of people talk about in their own ways, having that sense of freedom and what that means and how symbolic it is. But for us, it's about taking that next step to reclaiming our own power, the power that we've always had, but we've just put this really protective shell around ourselves. Yeah. And, and usually for valid reasons, but maybe those reasons aren't there anymore. And so getting to chip that away. Mm. I think it's, it's not just for us doing that as individuals, but also be supportive of that. Mm. Like even like you creating the, you know, the, this, this movement really, uh, wear the shorts, but for us to be supportive of, of each other. And I know as a man, you know, um, and I'm not saying that everybody's like me, but I'm very aware of it. You know, like I know if a woman might've, you know, put something on, she might be a little self-conscious because of just statistics wise. Mm -hmm. And so me making an effort to just be friendly, like to let her know, like, hey, you know, I see you, you know, like just to encourage people, give a little gratitude and um, be sociable. Like if you're at a gym and other people are, you know, you can see that they're uncomfortable, try to, you know, help them out and encourage, be kind, mm -hmm. you know, be kind and supportive and help people to really come out of that shell because each one of those steps, it's like, a, it's a courageous step because of the way the culture structure. So that's just what I think because... When I hear that a woman is uncomfortable about what other people think mm. because of what she's wearing, mm -hmm. that really like bothers me a lot. Yeah, and I'm just like, you better, you better wear that, mm -hmm. you know. And like because either you, I'm too thin for this, or I'm too thick for this, or whatever the case might be. Like you got to do what you know, wear the the beautiful thing, mm -hmm. you know, and love who you are right now because that's that attitude is going to move you closer to that next evolution of who you are. And that's what I love about your book is like, you're not telling people, you matter of fact, you're pointing people to, to love themselves to, but not with that necessarily that language, mm -hmm. but to appreciate who they are right now. But also you can change too. You yeah. know, like you can have both. It doesn't have to be like, I kill this person that I am now in mm -hmm. order to be reborn yeah. as this other person. Yeah, I think there's there, – so we very purposely <laughs> – naming this book, and, and as an author, you may feel this way too, but naming a book is very hard. And <laughs> we went back and forth on the title for a while, and then we, we just could not figure out the subtitle because, as you know – you're always like, how can I convey what the promise of this book is? What is this book about? And you have such a limited space to do that. And so we wanted to do something. It, we don't have in this book, we don't talk about weight loss. This is not a weight loss book. This is a health gain book. So mm -hmm. gaining health, how can we control those inputs, right? That are going to make us feel good because we respect ourselves, not because we're dieting. And so when we were trying to figure out what do we call this um, and what is the subtitle, at, at first it was love your body, own your power. And I just thought, no, um, for a couple of reasons. The first is when I was in the absolute depths of 
hating my body. This wasn't just a blip or like a season. This was like many, many years. And when I did uh, one of the last triathlons that I did, we were in Lake Tahoe by this beautiful waterfall. And I did kind of this like bodybuilder, like double biceps pose. And I looked at the photo and I just thought, you are disgusting. And I was looking back was that was the thinnest I had ever been. So, you know, I think if you had told Steph then, just love your body, I would have had some choice words for you. It would have seemed impossible. And so I I just thought about those things and I said, you know what, love is, I love, I, I appreciate that sentiment. And I think love is when we're talking about physical body and we're talking about health changes, I think what we really mean is respect your body, treat it well. It is the vessel that carries around your amazing spirit. It is the vessel that allows you to do amazing things. But love is, I mean, (laughs) self-love can very easily fall into the realms of narcissism, especially when we're talking about positive obsession with self. I had negative obsession with self. I think if we're only ever obsessing about eating the perfect food or getting the perfect workouts or am I doing enough? Do I look really good? I think that can easily go into a a kind of a negative space. So I don't think everybody who uses the term self-love or loving themselves means that. I think it's more of like a deep appreciation and unconditional self-respect. So when we were trying to figure out the subtitle, mm-hmm. I settled on embrace because to me, embracing is like coming home. Yeah. Is, is acceptance. It's like, this is who I am. Here I am now. And I can respect myself enough and have compassion enough for myself to take care of my physical self and my emotional self and my mental self right here, right now. I don't need to earn that right to then get to this magical land when I, where I, you know, I'm in this really negative place and now I need to get to this place where I really love myself, that there is this kind of neutral middle ground where I just am. I am here. I'm doing those things because they feel good, not because I'm trying to always reach a particular ideal. And that's why it ended up being embrace your body. So I think introducing this concept uh, and I didn't create the idea of like, you know, neutrality, um, but it really resonated with me because when I sat back and I looked at where do I spend most of my time, it is in this neutral place where I'm not thinking about every single thing I'm putting in to my body in terms of food. I eat pretty intuitively. I move pretty intuitively. And that allows me to then have more time to enjoy my life and do the things I want to do with my life. So it's, again, it's not the destination. Health is not the destination. It's a vehicle for us to enjoy other things, but it's not the holy grail. And and so can we come to that place of deep, deep appreciation for ourselves, even if there are parts of ourselves that we don't necessarily love, mm. you know, that we want to perhaps change. And that's a very, you know, acceptance, be here now, be in the present kind of mentality. Yeah. 
Wow. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, and the thing about you is that you actually demonstrate this. Like when you talk about embracing yourself, you are part of what I mentally call, which I've never said this out loud, but like real social media, you know, <laughs> like you show more of the real stuff. And, you know, one of those things, like there was a video, like you were like dancing, it was like slow motion. Yeah. And you had, the, you know, which we consider thick thighs, yeah. like in slow motion. Yeah. And they're just like, Ooh, and this is something that it might be just like terrorize somebody yeah. mentally or make somebody else uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. But I thought it was like so beautiful. I was like, this is amazing. And, you know, I showed my wife. And, um, but these are the things that like you're embracing yourself, like, mm -hmm. you know, you, and you said in the in the captions like muscle moves. Yeah, this is normal. Flesh jiggles. Yeah, it does. And also, you know, the, the tooth as well. Oh like, yeah. Just <laughs> one day, tooth. you know, you had the teeth. You know, the the pearly white smile. Then one day it was a post, and there was like no tooth there yeah. right in the front. And then you was like, hey, this is me. Yeah. And now, like, it's common that you're doing, you know, your Insta stories and things like that. Mm -hmm. Tooth free. I can take it out. We can do the rest of the interview without it. <laughs> it's up to you. But, you know, even when you came in here, I know the guy's like, is she a fighter? Like, what, what happened to her? I fought with the concrete when I was about eight. I fell off my bike and, and broke wow. my tooth. And, uh, yeah, it, that's another one where people, um, male, female, whatever, have messaged me and have said, thank you. For making me feel less broken or less, you know, thank you for making me feel normal. And I just think the number of people that have dental work or missing teeth is actually pretty high um, at any one given time. And the number of people who are like, I would never have even thought, I would never put that on. I just felt like I, I can't let anyone see me this way. That's the feeling. I can't let anyone see me without being perfect. And oh, what a heartbreaker. But people are saying, okay, now I feel like they'll send me their pictures of bone cells without their <laughs> their retainers in and stuff yeah. like that. Or they're, you know, they take their their whatever, their temporary out. They're like, look, I've got one too. And I don't know if it's turning 40. I turned 40 this year. I just really don't know what has I don't know. I just um I don't care anymore. <laughs> you know, if you want to have if you want to have your opinion, here's the thing, Sean. Someone's always going to have an opinion. Yeah. Whether you wear the shorts or don't wear the shorts, whether you take the job and move or you don't take the job and move, whether you, you know, leave your tooth in or take your tooth out, whether you what whatever it is, someone's going to have an opinion. Either way, you might as well just do what makes you happy. You know, as long as you're being a good person, not hurting some yeah. any other people. I think that's really important. But yeah, the tooth, like doing that video, dancing around, the number of women that have told me they cannot see themselves in a video because their their bodies are, their flesh is moving. Mm, yeah, yeah. We had a, a lovely lady uh. who did a, a five or a 10K or it was her first race. And she was so proud of herself because she finished this race. And she said, I saw pictures of my photos, still photos mm -hmm. of myself and my legs were, you know, my, my flesh was rippling. And she was like, I just couldn't, I just couldn't post it. Like, what are we doing to people? We, you know, what have we created in this world where 
people are doing something really positive for themselves. It's they're really proud of it and then they explain it away. Same thing happens with health, right? I feel better in this way, this way, this way, this way. But the scale didn't move. Or the scale went up. The scale went up with me. Right? If I use that scale as a measure of my success and happiness, mm-hmm. I should be really unhappy right now. Yeah. Cuz I'm bigger than I was before. But that's not how it works. Yeah. <laughs> right? So I think um the the other reason why I do those things and I I sometimes right, I'm not immune to this. I think am I about to post, you know, like Standing from the back, doing a slow motion video like of myself. I'm gonna, I'm gonna post this, yes. And here's why: is because that is very liberating for other people. Just like the tooth is very liberating for people to think, okay, I can do this too. And if I can help somebody find that freedom, peace of mind, confidence, whatever it is, by sharing my stuff. And who I am, the things I'm going through, why wouldn't I? Normalizing things, right? Yeah. Normalizing the human experience in, in these ways where we oftentimes don't see that on social or on in the media or whatever it is. We don't usually see those sorts of things. I remember, was it the actor who was in The Hangover? Mm-hmm. And he's missing a tooth. tooth That's actually yeah. his, he was, he's re- missing a tooth in real life. Wow. Right. <laughs> so I just always think of Ed Burns there, but. It came in handy. Jim, it did. Uh, Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey. That's another person yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. That's Made why, that's why I share those things. one of the epic movies ever, mm-hmm. you know. Wow. Yeah. That's so powerful. And uh, so again, and there's guys out there that are just like, I admire that so much. And it's just so encouraging, you know, because in. Uh, we could start a hashtag of like, post your picture when your front ca- facing camera is accidentally on. Yeah. You know, that is like the worst you will ever look. You look like, like a potato. I'm just like, do babies see me like this? <laughs> you know, is this how my, I look to my son? Jeez. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, like where everything is not always going to be, you know, but that's, we can create that illusion today with social media. Mm-hmm. You know, I just, I remember like when we actually took pictures with like disposable cameras there was so many <laughs> random, awkward, like, and those are pictures like you keep, you mm-hmm. know, like your eyes, like one eye is closed or yeah. whatever, you know, and just, you can't, there's no, you know, reposting yeah. to, a, to a degree, you know. And so um, just keeping all this stuff in context and like real talk, hashtag support the real, real social media. Yeah. And, um, but I, I want to shift gears and talk a little bit about, which we touched on already, but instead of this approach of like trying to exercise our way into this perfect body, you know, basically beating ourselves into submission through exercise, Mm -hmm. you encourage people to move with intention, Yeah. right? Move with intention. So what does that mean exactly? Yeah. I think it's different for everybody, but moving with intention is, you know, what am I trying to achieve here through movement? It's first of all, being aware of of your own motivations and we know very well, whether it's through, you know, N equals one experience or clinical observation or, you know, research, we know that exercise is really not a great weight control practice, 
right? Some people like, wait, wait a minute. Yeah, wait yeah. a minute, because we're always yeah. told eat, eat, eat less, move more. And it's it's not great. It's not great at controlling weight. And, you know, I guess the opposite uh, phrase would be, you know, abs are made in the kitchen, which I kind of shudder when I hear that phrase, but it, it captures that, you know, nutrition is important as is sleep. And I'm, you know, preaching to the choir on that one. But when it comes to body recomposition, if we're just talking straight up weight loss, exercise isn't the best at doing that because I think people overestimate how many calories they're actually expending when they're doing certain things, right? You walk for or you run for 30 minutes on the treadmill and you, you know, take the towel off the display and you're like, oh my gosh, I've only, you know, this is terrible. So I don't think... Um, approaching exercise from that point of view is a recipe for, again, long-term sustainability. Also, are you enjoying what you're doing? That's intentional, right? That's at, What are your intentions? Are you enjoying? Are you finding the joy in movement through what you're doing? And I re- when you try new things, they always feel uncomfortable. Yeah. I remember the first you know 20 times I went to jujitsu, I thought, this is not, I don't, is this for me? This feels really awkward. Is this going to work? The first time I ever went to, you know, lift weights, everything is so new. You don't know what you're doing. You get past that, but are you enjoying how you're moving? Does it fit into your life? We should not be fitting our lives into exercise. We should be fitting exercise into our lives in a way that makes sense for us, is financially making sense for us, time-wise making sense for us. You know, if we're always trading time away, uh, time from family to be in the gym for three hours, I don't know, is that worth, is that worth the trade-off for you? And I always ask that to people, is it worth what your, it costs? Mm -hmm. And I don't have that answer. That's only something that an individual can answer. Moving with intention also means, for me anyway, can I? how can I get the most bang for my buck? How can I get the most out of this with the least amount of effort? <laughs> you know, I kind of want to be lazy. Like how much, how efficient can my workout be? And so that's why strength training is a huge component of the book is because it's really efficient, right? We can do five sets of five squats and start out with a really low weight. And then as we get stronger, we can still do five sets of five squats and we're not really spending that much more time as opposed to some longer endurance sports where you have to run longer and longer and longer or bike further and further and further. So how can I be really efficient with what I do? Again, I don't want to spend all my time in a gym. It's not my, it's not my goal. And I know a lot of people say that they really love you know, it's a it's an exercise, fitness movement is so amazing for stress relief. It's amazing for anxiety, right? For moving emotions through your body. Really, really important, right? Just having less pain, feeling less stiff, very important. However, what else outside of the gym do you have mm. as your stress reliever? And that one's really important. So, you know, moving with intention is realizing that you also need to have some other, you need a plan B because from being in the fitness world, what inevitably happens is you see people who fitness is their only thing. It's their only outlet. They get injured, life changes, they get a new job, they have a baby and all of a sudden 
the thing, the one thing that they had, they don't have anymore. And it's a, it's like a crisis of identity at that point. So yes, how can we, um, how can we move a lot throughout our day? How can we just move more? How can we uh, stay active? Really important. How can we do some really targeted workouts that we get really great results for from, but we're not in the gym all the time? Can we weave in things like hit when appropriate, knowing it's not appropriate for everyone? And then how do we take care of our bodies? You know, like maintenance on a car. What do we what do we do to take care of our physical selves? So those kind of all go into moving with intention. Yeah. It's not one specific recipe, but I really do encourage people to find something that they like doing that can tick those boxes. Because if you don't like it, you're not going to do it, and it's always going to feel like a battle. Yeah. And then also, you know, really low key things like if if the only thing you can do today is walk. That's fine. (laughs) We don't always need to crush ourselves with workout. And I think that's where a lot of people get a bit in trouble is they think, okay, more is more. I've got to be in here more. I've got to do more. And that's that's a stressor. And your body doesn't necessarily know that this three hour workout, this stress that you just gave yourself is too much different from other stress that you can experience. And so we're not recovering. We're having trouble sleeping. Um, body composition is getting worse. You know, I mean, outside of the obvious things that are maybe need a little bit of tweaking, but are we doing too much? But that's that's challenging the, the eat less, move more paradigm. Right. And all of that goes into this overall stress load that we have that we're trying to manage. Yeah. But... What's so fascinating is you mentioned, you know, and this is the thing, you're a big advocate of this because it's like what you put into the book is really 80-20 rule. Like yeah. giving people these exercises, specific weight training movements mm-hmm. that get you 80% of the results. And this is just 20%, 20% of the work, you know, like you just mentioned, more bang for your buck. Yeah. And so you structure that into the book. And of course, like you're demonstrating and showing people, walking people through the program, yeah. which is awesome. Um, but also that portion, and I'm so glad you highlighted this multiple times of like doing something you enjoy doing mm-hmm. because I think that's literally, that is the number one form of exercise is the exercise that you'll do. Yeah. You imagine that, it, right? You know? like, it just makes so much sense. Yeah. True story. The other day it was like, it was last week and I went into the gym because I was going to lift and I just, you know, it, it was my day. It was my day to do, you know, whatever lift it might've been presses or whatever. And I usually warm up, I play, you know, basketball myself, usually nine times out of 10, just shooting around, (laughs) you know, dribbling or whatever. And then there was a game, it was like full court. And I just felt like I just want to play, you know, and also I want to, you know, I want to embarrass some people. So, you know, I was just like, I felt, and so I I did, you know, I jumped in the game and the kid that was guarding me, he was like probably 19 or 20 or whatever. (laughs) And I like, literally, I was like, because everybody on their team, I was like, I don't want this guy to guard me. And I told him, I was like, you look like you have way too much energy. Mm-hmm. And he didn't score a point. Okay, first of all, you know, <laughs> I, I'm just saying, first of all, and I, you know, I got some of the most points on my team. But, you know, but that's neither here nor there. I'm not trying to brag. But what <laughs> happened was I did something I felt good about. Right. Yeah. And I enjoyed myself. And it was an effort that I hadn't had in a little while. My body was stimulated in different ways Mm -hmm. and of course even like this stuff is good for your brain when you get out of the monotony of even if you press in there's only so many ways you could 
you know, press a dumbbell, you know? Yeah. And so I gave myself permission and it was tough because I literally was like, nah, I'm supposed to do this thing. Mm -hmm. And I, and I enjoy doing that, but I listened to what my, you know, the circumstance, my body, what I felt called to do in the moment, Yeah. you know? So shout out to doing something you enjoy. Yeah. Intuitive movement is a huge thing. And not every, we intuitively know how to move, right? It's the same thing with eating, but we've absorbed all these rules about what we should and shouldn't do. And, you know, it's like, we shouldn't eat after seven o'clock and we should only do, you know, back and buys or whatever, you know, bodybuilding splits or, you know, weightlifting. Like there are certain things we get into these habits or we get into these mindsets of we are supposed to do this stuff. And if we don't, we are lazy. We are bad people. We're not doing the right thing. We're going to lose our gains. Right now, a perfect example for me, I haven't lifted a barbell in probably about two, six weeks, two months. I've been doing kettlebell workouts on my front porch. I've got four kettlebells at home. That's the only workout equipment my I have. My eyebrows are raised. Yeah. I'm just very surprised right. to hear that because, you know, you're like, we attribute you, attribute you to the bar. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so for me, with the increased pace of work, the stress of the book going into a busier season, I just was not feeling, I was not feeling it. I can't give you a particular reason why. I was just thinking and feeling like I just would love to do some short 15-minute workouts on my porch. Shout out to my friend Pat Flynn. Um, I've been using his kettlebell workouts and there's this super, set the timer for 15 minutes. It's so easy. I don't have to think and I'm done. Because I don't have right now the, I usually would make my own workouts. Right now I just don't have, I don't have the energy to, you know, create my own workout or create my own program. And so, yeah, but if I was really tied to my identity, like I'm the person who lifts the barbell only, then that would be a conflict for me. And it's not, I'm like, you know what? It's always there. I didn't forget and when I feel ready and like I can pot- potentially handle the recovery from in- those increased loads, like I think the heaviest kettlebell I have at home is a 44. <clears throat> so I'm not lifting super heavy right now. It just feels right. Just feel- So when you were in the gym that day and you you listened to yourself, you listened to your body. And I think that's really important. I think sometimes we get too stuck on the rules and yes, lifting weights is incredibly beneficial for so many reasons. But if right now that doesn't make sense for your life, your body, your health status, I mean, for some people, like if their adrenals are completely toasted or they're not sleeping, I don't know. Do we need to even be doing really heavy strength workouts right now? Maybe not. Maybe it's not good for me right now. And so I think the more we can tap into that stuff and have fun. Right. How amazing that we ha- we can move. Some people can't. Yeah. You know, we get real stuck on the numbers and the, I should have hit this PR or I should have hit this lift or I should be doing this much. And I just think, can we just be grateful? Yeah. For what we can do. Man. And it's there's so, so important. much. There's so much. There's Everybody so much. listening, there's so much you can do. Yeah. Um, and just really quickly, if anybody ears perked up when she said Pat Flynn. There's two Pat oh, Flynn's yeah. out there. There's one who's, <laughs> Pat you know, smart passive income, <laughs> not, my guy, not not, uh, not, one not of my Pat good Flynn. friends. <laughs> Shout out to Pat Flynn. He's probably listening. Hey, and Pat. then there's a Pat Flynn who's in fitness. Yes. 
he's really uh, with the kettlebells yeah. big time. Um, <laughs> so, and another thing was, and uh, in going into this, because I usually fuel myself for the purpose of like, I'm not going to do super high intensity. I'm just going to lift, I was going to lift heavy. Yeah. And so like, it's a lot more, it's a lot less glycolytic kind of mm -hmm. work. And so I had only, it was like midday and I had only had my coffee. Mm -hmm. You know, I know we've been joking about the, uh, the, 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 the Duncan's, uh, frosted smoker, <laughs> yeah, ice, ice whatever. Ice coffee. It's, that's all new territory. But <laughs> I, I had just had my Four Sigmatic coffee mm -hmm. and some MCT oil. And, um, I was like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm fueled for this uh, right? as well. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, I gave my body, my body is like, it's, you know, I'm in that state of metabolic flexibility. Yeah. Shout out to Mark Sisson. But, um, I, I did have the cordyceps coffee. Do you, which coffee do you have? The cordyceps uh, or the lion's mane? Lion's mane. Yeah. Yeah, I like that one. So what's so crazy, I share this with you too. And I shared it on the show, but I didn't have coffee, you know, my entire life until about two years ago. And I just remember my wife was like, when I, because she was having the coffee for about a year. Mm -hmm. And every morning she would like be pestering me. And like, I call it now, like I'm her garçon or mm -hmm. her uh, barista. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I was just like, what's the big deal with this coffee? Like, I just didn't get it. And then I had it and I get it. You're like, oh. And so the cordyceps coffee, so they did a double blind placebo controlled study and they found that cordyceps supplementation was able to improve um, cardiovascular performance or stamina mm -hmm. about 9%, which is remarkable without taking, you know, some whatever, you know, some of that black market something, you know, <laughs> like, and this is all, and there's no crash, right? Yeah. This has been used for thousands of years. Plus it's that good organic coffee along mm -hmm. with it. And the reason that I love it is that the biggest reason is that they do a dual extraction of the mushrooms. So it's like an alcohol extract and a hot water extract. Mm -hmm. And I literally used to like buy capsules to get the hot water and I buy tinctures mm -hmm. to get the alcohol extract. And I'll be like putting this stuff in my smoothie. Like, you know, <laughs> I, I used to do this for years. And then I found out about, you know, Four Sigmatic and have been using them ever since. That's awesome. So how long have you been doing the coffees? Gosh, I think I want to say a couple years. Yeah. I really like the hot, the hot chocolate though, the hot cocoa. Yeah. yeah. The Rishi one? The, yes. Yeah. The Rishi. That's my, I give it to even my son, my youngest son, Braden is seven. When I'm having my coffee in the morning, like, especially when he's home, he's like, you know, can I have the hot chocolate? Mm. And so, and he's getting that reishi, so you know, good. which reishi is an uh, immunomodulator. It's an adaptogen. So, and one of the studies I saw a while back, reishi increases um, NK cell mobilization or activity upwards of like 300% for mm. some people, you know, like if their immune system isn't really working and training like it's supposed to be doing, you know? So it's really fascinating the impact that it can have. So shout out to Four Sigmatic. We love you so much. And guys, you get 15% off everything they carry. The mushroom coffees, the mushroom hot chocolates. If you're just like, I, I don't do either of those. I'm trying to keep it caffeine free. <laughs> uh, you can do the elixirs where yeah. they just have the chaga or reishi or cordyceps and they have those uh, by themselves. And so that's what I was doing when my wife was having the coffee and smiling extra hard. I was just having the elixirs, which I love those anyways, by the way. So head over to foursigmatic.com forward slash model to get that 15% off. That's F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com forward slash model. 15% off everything they carry. And let this carry you into your workout, which I want to ask you about now. Mm. Because I just want to put an end to this whole big and bulky, oh, you know, lifting thing like forever. 
And of course, like I, it's less and less happening now mm. with people's awareness of it. But so I want you to touch on that. But specifically, I want you to talk about the two different kinds of muscle growth, mm. right? So with hypertrophy, look, just talk about it a little <laughs> bit, okay? Because this is one of those things. It's like it seems like a barrier of entry for a lot of women to yeah. really step into their strength. Yeah. Yes, one of <laughs> we still are dealing with this, you know, I don't want to get bulky, which is kind of reinforced by things like, you know, I want to get long and lean muscles and I I ask, "Well, can you act, are you how are you lengthening your your muscles are fixed attached to to your bones. You can't actually lengthen a muscle." And I think it's having a common language that we're talking about things, but I, you know, having a science background, I also think it's really important that we talk about things accurately. What do we mean when we say long and lean or what do we mean when we say toning or what do we what do we really mean by those things? And the fact of the matter is if we want to build muscle, we're going to add we're going to add shape, right? We're going to add density, we're going to add we're going to make them bigger in some way shape or form when we're strength training. Now, where people get kind of mixed up because they don't understand is they're thinking, okay, I'm going to go in and do, you know, five sets of five squats or whatever it is, three by five or whatever they're doing, five, three, one, um, even just some basic dumbbell work. And they think I'm going to end up looking like Mr. Olympia. Mm-hmm. And that just, first of all, takes a lot, takes a lot more work to end up with a bodybuilder style body yeah it takes come on now i mean nutrition the training maybe some other helpful things along the way (laughs) in terms of uh, other substances black market yeah i mean black market again um and so you're not going to look like a bodybuilder by doing a basic strength program two times a week i mean two times a week is really kind of the the basic if you can do two times a week strength training I mean, and move on to your life and do other things, you're good. 80-20. It has to, you got to mean it though. And and so the thing that people always ask me is, well, how heavy should I lift? You know, how, how much weight should I do? That's, again, all relative. But if you're in there and you're just doing, you know, like ten, sets of 10 tricep kickbacks with like two pounds and you're like, but I don't feel anything. And, you know, it's just like I can check out when I'm doing my workout. It's probably not heavy enough. I would say like if the last few reps are a challenge, then you know you're in kind of in the right zone. But I think why women say they're going to get bulky, uh, for me when I talk to women, they're like, but I don't want to get bulky. When I, when I inquire further, because I used to coach um, Olympic weightlifting. So I work with some women that came in and I would inquire further like, what, what do you mean by that? You know, asking questions, what do you mean by like, I don't want to get bulky? And for a lot of the women in my community, the real reason they say things like that is because they, they're actually curious, but they don't feel like they have the right entry point. They don't feel confident in that environment. They're curious, but they don't feel like they have access. So that's always a really interesting thing. So when, it's like a blanket statement, yes. you know, just uh, like a little bit of a, this is my past to not participate. Well, right. Because if I say, I don't want to get bulky and you're some dude, you're, you're going to go, oh yeah. And it's going to end the conversation, right? It's a, it's an, because. Well, not me. Not you. If you're <laughs> you, but you're, you're not you, yeah. right? Um, it's an easy way to end the conversation because everybody thinks, oh yeah, I'm like, 
so yeah, we there's two types of essentially um, muscle changes, and we can push our muscular changes in in a couple different directions depending upon what we're doing. So the type of you know the sarcoplasmic right hypertrophy. So hypertrophy means to to grow. Um, so the sarcoplasmic, which is where we're basically adding fluid, yeah, pumping that fluid right to the to the cell. Or the myofibrillar, which is where we're actually increasing the number of contractile units and, and essentially fibers. So we, if we want to increase strength, but we don't want the accompanying like massive bulk that comes with things like bodybuilding, then we can do sets of you know, eights or sets of fives or sets of tens or twelves. And we're going to get that strength increase. We're probably going to increase the size and everybody's muscles are a little bit different. You might have really rounded muscle bellies depending on the way your tendons are arranged and how much is there. You know, I might have longer longer looking muscles with less bulk. I mean, you see people who kind of are cut and they have abs. Some people have very flat abs and some people have rounder abs and of course you can push that in certain directions depending upon what kind of movements you're doing, what kind of um, exercises you're doing as well. But I think what most people assume is going to happen when they pick up weights is that they're going to end up with the sarcoplasmic hypertrophy. They're going to become giant. And we, but we still deal with this um, with a lot of the women in my community who, again, they're like, I am feeling better in every way. I'm stronger, but yeah, my muscles did get bigger. And then it's like, but I can't wear the same clothes I used to. Or um, my shirts are all too small, or my jeans are getting tighter, and that is a mind thing too. Mm-hmm. That is something, and and oh, I have personally, I I, I kind of walk this line because I want people to be happy and comfortable in their body, but I also have to push back a little bit against you know asking, well, why do you feel that way? What is it? If you get to the root of why women oftentimes feel like they've, they're fitter, they're stronger, they're feeling better in every way, maybe they've let go of the scale finally, but they're like, my, I'm still growing, I'm, my clothes are tighter, I'm taking up more space. What is at the root of that? And it's usually fear. It's fear of not being attractive to your partner or fear of um, alien, being alienated from people in your life or there's there's usually some, someone else uncomfortable yeah there's some kind of underlying like I don't match up to what society says a woman should look like and I think it should be up to every person to pursue what they want but I also have a you know because of the, the community that I work in and because of what I do I also try to act as a mirror or a sounding board when people give me the butt. They give me the butt statement. Like, I'm happy with all these things, but mm-hmm. why? Well, why is that? That's curious. Tell me more about that. And asking them to dig deeper. And sometimes what you get on the surface, what they're not happy about isn't really what's running real deep for them. Yeah. So yeah, the bulky thing. I wish we could put that to put that to rest. Yeah. For good. Yeah. For good. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And even still, when we talk about taking up less space, 
I mean, actually, you know, muscle takes up less space than mm -hmm. fat does. Like if somebody is trying to get a slimmer waist, yeah. that's the thing that would, of course, bother me early in my career of just like, you lost three inches off your waist in a few weeks, but, you know, you're worried about the scale, mm -hmm. right? Just because of our, you know, our conditioning. And so, yeah. um, but there, my goodness, there's so many things that <laughs> we just scratched the surface, you know, uh, it's the core four. There are four pillars yeah. that you cover in the book. Obviously, the movement we've covered a little bit, just mm -hmm. a little bit of it, and you go like, man, it's just so good with the the structure and giving people like those really the eighty twenty movements, yeah, and uh, the nutrition. And this is what you were really initially known for mm -hmm. was food yeah. and making delicious food as well, and uh, but also you talk about the necessity of recharging your mm -hmm. energy mm -hmm. and there's a great section on that, and you talk about what does that mean, what are the different components of that. But before I let you go, the last thing I just want to touch on really quickly, uh, and if there's anything specific that you want to share mm -hmm. in regards to folks when they pick up the core four, but one of them is empowering your mind. Yeah. And, you know, we've, we've talked about some of the reframing that we will probably need to go through to have happiness be the way for us. But why was this like something important for you to talk about? In the book? Yeah, well, I think when... I talk with, I think mindset and, and just exploring our perspectives and our beliefs and how we operate in the world is, is absolutely critical to finding sustainability in these other areas, to finding the things that are going to last. And I always say, I don't care what you can do for a week. I'm not impressed. What can you do for a really long period of time? Right. Health is not just this thing that we're going to do in the next 30 days and then we forget about it. And when I when I talk to people about this stuff, they realize and even for myself, I realized that in order to find things that were sustainable, things that I enjoyed doing, but also made a big impact on my health and my life. Really, the mindset piece is paramount the habit, you know, habits. And I know people um, define mindset in different ways. For me, it's stuff like habits. It's how you, again, are, how, how you talk to yourself, what you do with your own thinking, your perspectives and outlook, your values, your fears, how you, and I'm not a psychologist, but I'm a human who deals with these things. Mm -hmm. And so I, even in my coaching practice, these are the things that people come up against. So I, Mindset is absolutely essential. It's also for some people one of the last things they feel equipped to deal with because these are nebulous things. These things often bring up the past. They may need, they may require us to eventually seek out things like therapy or professional counseling. You know, if we keep butting up against these things and, and we're really having a hard time or, you know, we have to deal with past trauma, right? Like, understanding that these topics oftentimes, if you think of a Venn diagram, can often overlap a little bit with these other mental health issues, certainly. So I want to encourage people to get professional help. Um, there's no shame in that. But when it comes to mindset, yeah, it's almost like a it, like we need it to be able to have sustainability in these other areas. Because if I don't if I continually come up against limiting beliefs and I think I can't do this, I can't do this, I need to reframe these thoughts and I'm not able to do that, I need that work. But for some people, 
tackling that is one of the hardest things. For me, that kind of came last. And so when we were thinking about how do we structure this book, <laughs> what do we put first? And I, I told, told my editor, I mean, really, I think mindset comes first. But I also know that for a lot of people, it's the least practical. It's the least tangible thing. Yeah. Yeah. Y- you can't touch your values. You can't touch your purpose. It informs what you do. You can cook a meal. And for some people, that is like their really concrete first step. Or you can stop right now and do a, we're going to do some air squats and push-ups or whatever it is. It's very tangible. So in the book, I think that a couple of things I, I really want people to think about are the values piece. What's important to me right now? And if the last time you thought about what was important to you was five years ago or 10 years ago or when you were in high school or when you were in college and you're not at that age anymore, it's time to reassess. Because when there's this disconnect, it's often because our actions and our values aren't meeting up. There's a, there's a gap. What we're putting our time and energy into is actually stuff that's not super important to us. And that takes boundary setting. That takes assessment, self-assessment. Can we do that without intense self-judgment, though, too? Can we do it from an observational point of view? And I think that that stuff's tricky. But if we're, if we're not reassessing every so often, because life changes, right? we might be putting time and energy into things that really aren't that important to us. And sometimes it's easier to define what's not important to you in order to really get to the heart of the issue. So I think that's really important in in this particular book. And then the other thing is having something outside yourself, some kind of purpose. And I know for some people, they're freaked out by that concept. And it doesn't have to be something global. It doesn't have to be something huge. But what is it outside of yourself that you can connect to, that you can feel aligned to. Because again, we have we have to get, we have to break free from this intense focus on on self all the time. And it could be something as simple as random acts of kindness. I used to go around and I would take blank note cards and I would write things in them like, you're an amazing human, you know, I hope you have a wonderful day. I would just write really generic messages and I would put them in the envelope and put some stickers on it and whatever and leave it and leave them in random places. I don't know. And I wouldn't hide out in the bushes or anything to find out if anybody ever, ever found them, but I would tuck them into places like I'd go in the grocery store and tuck it in between the cans of whatever (laughs) or leave it under somebody's windshield wiper in the parking lot. Or whatever. I mean, it just the things that are so small like that, or giving someone an honest compliment. You know, when you really look at them and you see them, that's a random act of kindness that costs you absolutely nothing. Can you take the focus off you for even just a little while? Because when things feel hard, it's so easy to get closed off and isolated. So I think that finding something, some purpose, some little thing, maybe it's a big thing. Maybe you do want to have this, have a huge community and change the world. Or maybe you start with just your, your 
your neighborhood or you start with your family and friends and you really want to connect with them or whatever it is, but find something outside of yourself because the more we can stay connected to that, the less we worry about our own imperfections and the things that we don't have and we get to to carry that gift on to other people. And it's infectious. Yeah, sure is. Yeah. Sure is. That's an incredible just model that you're setting for everybody right there in and of itself. Because um, one of the things that I've seen and just being able to talk to you a couple of years ago, and even when I first met you, it was at, you know, that event, Paleo FX, mm-hmm. Darren and Danielle, Danielle yeah. introduced us. They were like, hey, you guys should know each other. <laughs> and you just, I don't think you were owning you as much as today like mm-hmm. it is infectious like your ownership your ownership of the room even when you came in here with these three sketchy looking fellas <laughs> you know you were just like you just shine you know you. and I know of course you're still in process there's always stuff that yeah. you're working on but you really are a reflection of of this work and what you've put into the book is just super inspiring and also just very tangible as mm-hmm. well like pe- we, we can get access to this so i want people to get the book like mm-hmm. right now <laughs> i got an advanced copy thankfully but people can pre when this comes out the day that this interview comes out people can pre-order it right mm-hmm. now i'm pretty sure they're gonna sell out so get your copy <laughs> pre-ordered right now and if you're listening to this a little bit later make sure that you get a copy of the core four. So can you let everybody know where they can pick up the book? Thanks. Yeah. Uh, you can find it anywhere online. You can buy books. So that's pretty simple. And then in retail places, I guess if you like to go to bookstores, I love, I love books. We have a book problem in our house because we've got <laughs> random piles of books Tell everywhere. But it. to me, there's nothing better than holding a book um, in your hands. So yeah, if you want to go to a bookstore, you can usually find it there. And if this is before the 30th, people can pre-order and then get the suite of bonuses that Ooh. we've created that go along with the book. So that's at core4thebook.com. Uh, just a little morsel of the bonuses, please. Oh my gosh. So uh, we've got the introduction in full and I've read the introduction and there's also uh, a text version if people are like, I cannot wait, I want to mm-hmm. dig in. Mm-hmm. And I've had people tell me that when they read the introduction, it either has one of two effects or both. It makes them cry in a good way and gives them goosebumps. So I love it. It's really powerful. We also have a 30 day companion journal, a digital journal that goes alongside Mm -hmm. the book. There are, you know, there's workouts, there's recipes, there's journaling activities. And to me, writing in a book would feel, I mean, I want people to be able to go back and use this. So I don't want you to write in the book and then think, oh no, I ruined my book. So we created the journal to go along with that so people can jot down what they're learning, things that they've experienced. So that comes with it. I've got some audio pep talks, which are like mini podcasts. You can just, if you're ever feeling a little bit down, you just put that in there and it's like a good friend giving you a pep talk. Oh gosh, so many other things. So yeah. And where's that again? Core4thebook.com. Core for the book is at the number four. It is the number four. Core number four book.com. Yeah. Get the bonuses yeah. because you've got a few days before the book comes out. Get the bonuses right now yeah. because you'll get access to that. And thank you so much for coming to hang out with me. Thank it's been you. Awesome. I really, really appreciate being here. 
and talking to you again. Yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, and I get to see you more now coming yeah, up here soon. I know. But you know, it's for <laughs> another day. But again, thank you so much. Thank Appreciate you. Appreciate it. Everybody, thank you so much for tuning into the show today. I hope you got a lot of value out of this. So many nuggets of wisdom. I took some notes myself as well. And uh, right now, you know, I'm, I'm challenging by having Steph on the show. It's challenging our thinking. You know, it's challenging our ability to take ownership of our own bodies, to not be concerned about the comfortability of other people based on the way that we look or how, how our bodies are showing up currently in reality. And she mentioned something in the book and talking about the scale. It, and it just hit me like how silly it is because it's just like it's a measurement of like how gravity is, 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 is hitting this scale, you know, like how much gravity we're kind of interacting with, you know, and it doesn't it doesn't take into account your heart. It doesn't, doesn't take into, except the weight of your heart, but it doesn't take into account the size of your, of your heart and your spirit and your desire and the, the, the goodness that you're carrying. It doesn't take into account how you are as a friend or a parent. It doesn't take into account how much uh, you love yourself and, or, or as Steph would talk about it, you accept and embrace and respect yourself. All of these things really equate to something much bigger than a scale could ever tell us. And I'm challenging you to today begin to take up more space, to expand yourself instead of constantly trying to shrink yourself and to really embrace your greatness because you are great. And uh, again, head out, pick up the core four. And what is that URL again? Core4thebook.com. Core4thebook.com. Get the bonuses. Bonus yeah. alert. And we've got some powerhouse episodes coming your way soon. So make sure to stay tuned. Share this episode out with your friends and family. You can tag me and tag Steph as well. What's your IG handle? Steph underscore Godro. Boom. There it is. <laughs> I, I love you guys. I appreciate you so much. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today. Take care. Have an amazing day. And I'll talk with you soon. And for more after the show, make sure to head over to themodelhealthshow.com. That's where you can find all of the show notes. You can find transcriptions, videos for each episode. And if you got a comment, you can leave me a comment there as well. And please make sure to head over to iTunes and leave us a rating to let everybody know that the show is awesome. And I appreciate that so much. And take care. I promise to keep giving you more powerful, empowering, great content to help you transform your life. Thanks for tuning in.